So, we are here today to celebrate the Christmas Eve. As you are all familiar with the Ramakrishna tradition, that the Christmas Eve is celebrated in almost all our centers because we do have association as per our religious tradition is concerned with this special day. Now you all know that Sri Ramakrishna's life was an exemplification of the harmony of religion. The religion, religious universality and harmony was exemplified through his life. He had a wonderful curiosity that we have found nowhere in the history of humankind. That he was not satisfied with just a particular faith. For most of us, religion means just to have faith in a particular belief system. And there it ends. He started with a faith in a particular belief system. That's true. But it never ended just in mere faith. For him, the burning question was that is God a mere make-believe? Is it just a mere image made of stone? Or is God something who is a living presence? And for that, that's the quest which led him to the tremendous spiritual yearning to realize the God in his life. And we find that his spiritual journey started with that yearning. But that yearning took him to the realization, but he was not satisfied with that. He had that unique uh, curiosity to see God, to realize the same divine principle through all the various faiths. And that's why we find in the span of 12 years, he took up one by one so many practices as per the <clears throat> faith within the Hinduism is concerned, as per the Vaishnavas, as per the Shaktas, as per the Advaitic Vedanta tradition is concerned. So one by one, we find that he has practiced all of them and his tremendous yearning took him to the realization in short time. That's why uh, very nicely in a small couplet, Ravindranath Tagore has indicated the life of Ramakrishna that Bohu Shadhoker, Bohu Shadhonardhara, Dhyane Tomar Milito Hoechetara. That in his meditation, the entire gamut of the spiritual history has as if conglomerated. So that's a wonderful life. We say Ramakrishna is avatara varishtha, is one, he's not only the divine incarnation, he's a special divine incarnation, one of the supreme uh, divine incarnation. Why? Why we say? Because even in the modern life, you will find as per the biology is concerned, the, the theory of evolution, what, that there are many ways to say that the humans are the most evolved. There are many ways. One of the theory that the human is most evolved is the recapitulation theory. What it says that ontogeny repeats phylogeny. It's a theory of recapitulation. What it means, the successors, the successive generations, when they take birth, it's not that they just take birth as an evolved creature. As in the process of taking birth, in the few months when they are in the mother's womb, you'll find a wonderful thing. They actually traverse the entire process of evolution. 
as a human being, a human child in nine months, take the form of a human child in the mother's womb. And in that nine months, what the child has done is something amazing. It started from a single cellular organism. It was just a single cell. From that, it started evolving. If you study the embryology, you will find a wonderful thing. At certain stage, we were like the amphibians. We had tails. We were then like the fish. Our heart was two-chambered. Then it became three-chambered. At last, it became four-chambered. We had something like fins, which got converted into lungs. So entire process of evolution was traversed in that nine months. Very interesting. In nature, it took millions of years to evolve from a single cell to the human being. Why we are evolved? If you study the embryology, you will find in nine months, the entire process of evolution has been in an accelerated way has been traversed which in nature took millions of years. So Ramakrishna is avatar of Varishta. It's not just like a fanatic we say it. If you see his life in 12 years, the same way he is that ontogeny repeats the phylogeny. He is traversing the spiritual journey of the entire humanity in an extremely fast pace because of his tremendous yearning in just 12 years. And when he have practiced all the various streams in Hinduism, his curiosity just took him even beyond the purview of the Hindu religion. He practiced Christianity, he practiced Islam, not only practiced, it took him to the realization. For us, we try to embrace God. If you read the life of Ramakrishna, a wonderful thing you will find. He was so open, the ego factor was not there at all. Oh God, please show me the way you are. That was his approach. That we approach the divinity with all the sorts of dogmas and doctrines we hold on to it. His was a, he was a simple person. That please show me the way the Christians worship. And just the way the Christians try to relate to the divinity. And when that desire came in 1874, we find the Sri Ramakrishna, after practicing all the various folds of Hindu religion, at last, in 1874, it's almost the end of the 12 years, he had that yearning to practice the way the Christians practice their religion. So his interest in Christianity grew. And that's the time we find, as you know, Ramakrishna didn't, uh, though he knew to read, but as he grew older, that because as he was not having the habit of reading, he almost lot, uh, lost the practice of reading. So it was Shambhu Charan Mallik, a, an associate of Ramakrishna, a, I won't say devotee, he was though devoted to him, but not in the sense, in the conventional sense, he was not a devotee. He used to visit Ramakrishna and he seeing Ramakrishna's interest in Christianity, started reading Bible to him. And that's when we find Ramakrishna's desire to practice Christianity the way the Christian practice grew. He uh, used to occasionally visit Jadu Malik's house, which was outside the Dakshinashar temple premises. When this study of the Bible was going on, on one such day, he visited Jadunath Malik's place and there was no one. The parlor was opened for him. He went and sat there waiting for Jadunath Malik. And then suddenly he saw in the wall the picture of infant Jesus with the Madonna. And this is the wonderful thing in life of Ramakrishna. The photo, this ordinary picture was no more a picture to him. It suddenly became lively. It because just as if that uh, the Madonna and the infant Jesus were a living presence there. And he was overwhelmed with that sense of that living presence of Jesus and the Madonna, infant Jesus and the Madonna. In Hinduism, in the Vishishta Advaita Vada, Ramanujachari has a wonderful concept. 
that God is everywhere, but he manifests specially in the deities. So here in this Ramakrishna's visualizing the living Madonna and the living Christ in the picture speaks of that concept of the special manifestation of the divinity on the deity. That's the concept of archavataram. When the devotees, archana means to worship, when they worship the deity, thinking of the deity to be the living presence is the deity manifests specially through that uh, date through that image he manifests and here in the life of Ramakrishna we find that as if God is manifesting in the form of infant Jesus and Madonna in the life of Ramakrishna we see it's a living demonstration of the fact of Archavataram and for the few days Ramakrishna had the vision of the Christian priests and they are offering incense and light before the image of Jesus in the church he was almost absorbed in the waves of the Christian faith. It almost swayed him. He forgot. He's visiting the temple of Mother Kali, Kali for three days. He was totally absorbed with the visualization of the way the Christians worship Jesus in the church. And at last in the evening of the third day, when he was so much imbibed with the idea of the the life of Jesus Christ. On the evening of the third day, when he was strolling down the Panchavati, the garden of Dakshineshwar, suddenly he had a beautiful, unfamiliar, foreign-looking God person of very fair complexion. He appeared in front of him and he was as if steadfastly looking at him. And Ramakrishna was immediately uh, absorbed with the idea, he immediately could relate that this is Jesus the Christ. He's a great yogi. He's the loving son of God. He's one with his father who gave his herd's blood and he went through endless suffering, torture, all for the emancipation of the humankind. He took the burden on his shoulder. And when this overwhelming devotion grew in him, he found that Jesus is approaching him. He approached that the figure approached and it merged in the person of Ramakrishna. It got immersed in Ramakrishna. And that way Ramakrishna is exemplifying the divinity of Christ through his life. Throughout his life we find he had a reverence for Jesus Christ. He considered him to be an incarnation of the divine. The only difference, the way in which we revere Jesus from the Christians is that the Christians believe that Jesus is the only son of God. Whereas we believe that God, we cannot limit God or his manifestation in just one personality. Throughout the ages, Whenever he feels that the humankind is in need of the help of the divine, is the God who descends in various forms, in various countries, in various forms, through various culture. As there's a wonderful song, Har Desh Me Tu, Har Vesh Me Tu, Tera Naam Anek Tu Eki Hai. In every country you are, in so many attires you may be, you have various names, but you are the same person who are incarnating again and again through his various forms. Sometimes we don't realize this, that all the basic forms of religion ends up in fanaticism when we say this and this, pers this uh, per personality is the only prophet or is the only son of God. Swami Vivekananda used to say very nicely, that this type of dogmatism is even worse than the canine instinct. The canine, he was a very, he used his language very sophisticated. Actually, canine instinct, by the canine instinct, he meant that of our dog, the domesticated dog. Why he's saying that is worse than that? It don't, your pet dog 
will recognize you in whatever dress, in whatever attire you may come in its presence. You cannot be in disguise in front of your pet dog. You may wear mask, whatever you may do, he will smell you. He knows the master. But the so-called, the fanatics condition is even worse than that. They don't recognize their master the moment they change their dress. That's what Swami Vivekananda used to say. In Ramakrishna tradition, we do worship the various incarnations of the divinity to recognize to the fact that we cannot limit the divinity. We cannot restrict him. He has the power to manifest anytime, anywhere, in any form. We cannot restrict. And throughout the ages, we find the divinity has really incarnated. Sri Swami Vivekananda used to say, the tree is known by its fruits. If you have to really judge the religion, just see that each and every religion had did produce great men. Men of exalted character, men of exalted dedication. There is not a single tradition you will find that they have not produced. You may say, but there is so much of fanaticism. Again, Swamiji says, a tree is not judged by the rotten fruits. Some of the fruits do get rotten. But whether a mango tree is good or not, how will I judge? By the best mango which it produces. Then I say, oh, this is a good mango tree. If I take care, I can get rid of all those so-called worm-eaten rotten mangoes. And I can get the best mango. So you will find that a tree is judged by the best fruit which it produces. And you will find all the religion. If you find, try to find out the best specimen, the best fruits of that religion, you will find they're all great. Whether they're idol worshippers or not, we find a wonder, this, this wonderful great personalities have been produced by these various traditions. And that proves the efficacy of each and every religious tradition. And that's what Ramakrishna's life was there to demonstrate. It's not only a mere theory among thousands of theories. It is through his life, through his realization, he affirmed to the fact that as many faiths, so many paths. And just following the Ramakrishna's tradition, we find after the death of Ramakrishna, Nine of his young disciples, they gathered on a winter night. We will find that in Ramakrishna tradition, so many of our, this mainly two of our celebrations coincide with the Christian celebration. One is this Christmas Eve and there is a Kalpataru on the 1st of January. Many may think that it's most probably a designed thing that we have somehow to get the popularity in those days, most probably the British government was there. And we found I found some critics writing that way. But we forget one thing. What's the thing that even now, when it is a holiday, government declared holiday, then only we can think of having some special occasions. Those who are religiously minded, they all think of satsang on the holidays. And it was a mere coincidence. In those days, in the British government, was this this the India also had this Christian uh, this celebrations a holiday from Christmas Eve to the New Year's Day, and that's the time when the people were free to assemble together, and that's how we find the same thing happened on the winter, on the winter holidays of the Christmas after shortly after the Ramakrishna's death, when all these young disciples who were yet to formally take the monastic vows. They were still staying at their home. They decided to come together and spend some time bit out of Calcutta in a place called Artpur. It was the house of one among those nine disciples, Swami Premananda, Baburam Maharaj. So all planned to visit Baburam Maharaj's house, ancestral place. That's a village, a remote place. So spend the Christmas, that Christmas holidays in this a bit intense spiritual practice. And as, the, as it's the winter night, you know, in India, you don't get the winter, the short winter, they want to enjoy that. So generally in the night, they will have something like campfire. 
After all, these young disciples were all disciples of Ramakrishna. What they will discuss? Not worldly things. They do have campfire. But they make that occasion to discuss something spiritual. And by the way, just accidentally, the topic of Jesus came in their discussion. And Narendranath, the future Vivekananda, he started uh, giving a wonderful deliberation on the renunciation of Christ. He, he in indicated that he is the king of sannyasins. If the renunciates, if you if the life of Jesus is the exemplification of renunciation, extreme renunciation, we who have just already decided to leave our hearth and home to take the vows of sannyasa. They were just thinking of having it soon. So that day, as the topic of Jesus came, they all that day informally in front of that campfire took the vow that we also will try to live an exemplary life of renunciation as has been exemplified the life of Jesus. And it's only the next day they realized that it was the night of Christmas Eve. So that's why this day is such, has a, such a special significance in Ramakrishna mission. It's not the Christmas. We celebrate the Christmas Eve because it tallies with that day. On the Christmas day, of course, that uh, it's not that we don't celebrate but the, all our, the special uh, worship happens on the Christmas Eve because that's the night on which they took informal vows. That was not the formal sannyasa. After that, uh, after a few months, the next year in 1887, in, uh, in the beginning of 1887, they took the formal sannyasa. But this was an informal gathering in which they, they intensified that their, their renunciation was intensified and they all decided that they are they're going to formally leave their hearth and home and take the life of a sannyas in a renunciation. So that's why the Christmas Eve has a special significance in Ramakrishna tradition. Now, as we were indicating that, that we revere Jesus Christ not because he had something new to teach. Why we revered Jesus? After reading Vedanta, we always search. In Vedanta, we always search for some living exemplification of the Vedantic truth. If there is no one to exemplify the truths which has been spoken of in the scriptures, then know it for certain in the words of Swami Vivekananda, we are bound to make the image of a monkey in our attempt to make the image of Shiva. That's what you used to say. It's a popular Bengali adage, Shiv Gorte Banor Gora. All those abstract, with all those abstract ideas, if parallel to that, there is no living exemplification. Know it for certain that with all our cure, uh, queer imaginations, we are going to make something horrible out of it. It is the living exemplifications, the life, which are the true commentary of the scriptures. And when you follow that living exemplification of the scriptures through those lives, then only you can be in the correct track. Otherwise you will miss the track. So the reverence for Jesus is because he, among many, there are so many great personalities. He's also the one whose life is a demonstration of the Vedantic principles. And that's why when we read the life of Jesus, it's not those miracles which really uh, inspires us. What inspires us is something even in the Christian world we find is not given that importance. The Sermon of the Mount the entire Christianity is depending on the crucifixion, that last moment that gives the passion, tremendous passion that in the sacrificing his life, the entire Christianity revolves around that, that believe in him can liberate you. 
but we forget that when he was alive he do teach his disciples specially something which was not meant for the general mass seeing jesus curing all doing some miracles there was throngs of people coming from galilee from jerusalem from judea from beyond the jordan so all the mass was following him but jesus noticed that among that mass a few were there who were not just for the miracle mongering just to have certain miracle in their life for most of us religion as swami vivekananda used to say religion is what it's sheer materialism where god is the means world is the end we want this world god is just the mean by praying to god he will do some miracle he will cure us he will give us long life he will give us wealth and that's why we have made god the means world is the end this world is the be all and end all of our existence and that mass who was following him jesus in no time realized they were of that category but among them there were a few a dozen of them who as jesus will say later they're the salt of the earth the salt of the earth what it actually means that as a human being we have certain uniqueness what's that uniqueness no other creatures can think of god we are the only creature who can think of god think of our spiritual dimension of our existence that proves that what that we are the salt of the earth and that's why she just says that if the salt loses its taste then what remains so the if being a human being if you are not aware of that spiritual dimension of our existence what's the use of the human birth that has no value so he found that a few salt of the earth are there among those and he his message the special message is for them that's the treasure in the entire bible that's the treasure the sermon of the mount he chooses them segregates them from the mass and takes them aloof on the mountain and that's that that's the uh, portion of the bible which we all know that famous the sermon of the mount and that also the beginning the opening phrases are called are still more special that the beatitudes so today we will just go through those beatitudes and try to relate to the words of jesus from our vedantic standpoint and we find that what unique message he is giving in a plain and simple language but it is extremely profound so it is only for those who are spiritually ready those for whom god is just not the means god is also the end for them god is is no world is not the end god is the means god is the end they want to hold on to god to realize god so for them we find that he is taking them aloof from the crowd to give the special special treasures he want to deliver to them that's the gift that for the entire humankind which he passes through those 12 disciples so what are those beatitudes and from the vedantic standpoint how we relate to those beatitudes in a short we will try to just discuss today and find out uh, and that, that try to realize that why we revere jesus for the special words blessed are the pure in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven uh first is that i think yeah the first is the blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are the uh there are so many let me just come one by one. first is the blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom in heaven what that poor the poverty speaks of it speaks of many even we find that sometimes these commentaries can be quite complex it leads to a lot of theological discussion but from the vedantic standpoint that this one is poor in spirit speaks of humility in vedanta they speak of approaching the guru with shraddha that the spiritual truths which the one who has realized when he is speaking maybe 
it's not up to my intellectual understanding but i have to be humble i have to be poor in spirit in that sense with shraddha i have to approach what shraddha means faith in the words of guru faith in the words of scripture what actually it means if an i am diseased i go to the doctor i know i not know nothing of the medical science the doctor diagnoses me and prescribes a medicine i have faith that why i have faith in the doctor because he has studied the medical science i have faith in the medical science it is a well researched body and this is the person who represents that he has studied through it well so though i don't have the knowledge of it with humility with humility i have approached him i have faith in him that he is whatever he prescribes is good for me and with that humbleness i resort to the prescription and get cured so this same similar humility is required when i am really yearning for religion the one who is a realized soul i have to approach him with that humility and at the same time with that shraddha with that respect just the way if a small child says that in school when you say that certain theorem the einstein's theorem i cannot prove it to the child i can just say that you just take it as a working principle when you go to the higher class you will understand so first he has to resort through faith to all those teachings similarly in spiritual journey we have to be humble to resort to all those teachings to shraddha through faith that has been spoken of that once you have that shraddha then comes this shravana manana nididhyasana you hear after hearing i don't doubt i humbly accept the fact that there is a lack in my understanding what he says is authentic he is a realized soul so what he says is authentic let me try to cogitate upon his words through my spiritual journey gradually those ideas become more and more clear and then i develop an intellectual conviction and then my contemplation starts on that intellectual conviction leading to realization so now you will understand that what is meant by the poor in spirit the one who is humble for him alone is the kingdom of heaven he only through shraddha can gradually evolve in spiritual life if we have the idea that i with my limited intellect will understand everything and then only i can resort to some practice i can never never enter the spiritual journey at all so poor in spirit speaks of that humility blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted <clears throat> now mourning doesn't mean mourning for the worldly things in simple words of ramakrishna people weep rivers of tears because a son is not born or because they cannot get riches if someone is desiring to have children they don't have children they shed tears they don't have wealth they shed tears but who shed tears even one drop because he has not seen god so here mourning indicates that when you have developed that type of uh suffering tormentation because you have not realized the spiritual truth in your life know it for certain that yearning will take you to the realization as in the words of ramakrishna yearning is like the red hue of the dawn sky in the morning hours the dawn the sun is yet to be seen the sun is not visible but the entire sky you see that red hue seeing that red hue you know it's a matter of few minutes the sun will be visible so how nicely ramakrishna used to say that yearning is like the red hue of the dawn once it is there know it for certain the sun will be visible so blessed are they that mourn those have they developed that yearning for god not for worldly things for they shall be comforted they will that will lead to that yearning will lead to that realization blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth now sometimes really that it becomes very difficult to relate to these words but from the vedantic standpoint 
we take it in a very simple plain words black the blessed are the those are meek what actually is meant by meek ramakrishna used to speak of two types of ego the ripe ego the unripe ego kacha ami paka ami what is ripe ego the ego which is which is still there but that ego is a bit different from others that ego with that ego i have with our life i have realized nothing is mine everything is god's it is he who has given me it is who is going to take away so my house my wealth everything is god's nothing is mine that is ripe ego when you say this is my everything my house my property my son my wealth that is kachami what difference it makes once you have that ripe ego that everything is his he has given me it is he who is going to take away from that a sense of detachment comes you will don't be you won't be uh, just clinging to the things of the world that will bring you detachment and that detachment alone speaks of really enjoying the wealth so to give an example swami vivekananda used to give a wonderful example suppose there is some auction is going on auction of a painting is going on and now there are some rich person who are willing to that buy that painting so now what you all are busy there with the bid the bidings the rising of the bidding the buyer the seller all are busy with the how the price is rising up and there is an onlooker who has not he is not there to buy that painting he is just there as an onlooker he in the process is in no way interested in the bidding what's going on he is enjoying the picture so who enjoys the picture neither the buyer nor the seller the one who is a detached onlooker so in that's a example swami vivekananda is giving in this life the more we are detached the more we enjoy take a kindergarten for the first time or a child care you are taking your child to the child care center it cries because it is a new environment for the child it is so much attached to his parents he doesn't want to stay there after a few days you will find just the opposite thing the child has developed friends now at the end of the day when you go to take the child it cries it doesn't want it wants to stay with the friends and continue with his games still after a few more days or most probably after a month now the child stops crying neither he cries when you are dropping him nor when you are going to take him home take him back home why the crying has stopped because he has developed detachment what's the detachment he have realized that this place is not something permanent it's a temporary place morning my father will drop in the evening he will take me back home my home is the permanent place this is a temporary place that doesn't mean that as it is temporary so i will be sitting in a corner not relating with all i am relating with all playing having fun but in my mind i have developed that idea it is a temporary place so there is no suffering anymore when in the morning my father drop i am happy when he is coming to take me back i am ready so in a few days i have learned that this is a temporary place which is not permanent that has given me a sense of detachment and now i can really enjoy the child is starts in this enjoying that place when he has developed that sense of temporary that this is something ephemeral this is something temporary so similarly in those who inherits the earth the meek the one who doesn't have the sense of possession who knows god is the one who possesses everything i am just the caretaker just the treasurer for the time being and that gives a sense of detachment and that with that alone you can really enjoy the world tena tyaktena bhunjita magridha kasya sedhvanam the same idea we find in the isha upanishad that save yourself through renunciation enjoy through renunciation but how to enjoy through renunciation by being meek so these are the wonderful words of jesus in the beatitudes we find how simply the simple truths in a profound way he is speaking of then what he is speaking blessed are they which to hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled again the righteousness doesn't mean here the just following a few few moral laws 
and these moral rules. It's not mere moral education. Thirst for righteousness means thirst for God, hunger for God. Why, why we, uh, we say that? Because they shall be fulfilled. That's the thing. Just mere moral education doesn't give any sense of fulfillment. It just changes our behavior. It in no way gives fulfillment. Fulfillment comes when you have the awareness of the spiritual dimension of existence. And from that, it, you aspire to attune to that spiritual dimension of existence. And you find your, your passion for being adhering to the spiritual dimension of existence have started changing your life spontaneously. At every moment, you won't have to decide the do's and don'ts. As you are attuned to the spiritual dimension of existence, the goodness becomes something spontaneous. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Je naachte jane tar betale pa porena. What it means? An adept dancer never has false steps. It's always in rhythm. That when you are learning, when as a learner, as a novice, at every step he has to be very, he or she has to be very careful. It should be in the rhythm. Now and then there will be a false step. But once you have learned, you may be talking to someone, the music is playing, unconsciously you will find that your steps are always in rhythm. So you, that your dancing has become something spontaneous. So like the, 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 the one who is righteous because of the hunger of God, for them the goodness is spontaneous. To give another common example, it can be easily understood. You know, in a residential school, I was there in a residential school for so many years, and we have a very strict routine, very punctual routine. At morning, at what time there is a bell, when the student has to get up, the study hours, play time, there's time for breakfast, lunch, shower, everything is fixed, school hours. Now, why we follow that strict routine? One has to be very punctual because we know most of the students are yet to develop liking for studies. So unless you fix them in some routine, it's almost impossible to make them study. But there are a few students who have developed the taste for study. And we knew for well that this routine, he has to follow, but it has as such no binding on him. Others, we always have to take a, means we have to be very, always supervising whether they're following the routine or not. But these few students who have developed the test for study, we know the routine, though he's following, but actually is not meant for him. It, he just spontaneously follows because his liking for the study makes him to follow that routine spontaneously. So there he doesn't have to force himself to follow the routine. So similarly, the righteousness which we think at present as the moral education is full of the do's and don'ts at what to step to follow, what step not to follow. That's what the righteousness means. But once you have that hunger for God, when you are attuning your life to the divine, the goodness becomes spontaneous. You won't have to calculate at each and every step. And that's how the fulfillment comes. That, that's just the way the one who has developed taste for the studies, his education brings him fulfillment. For other, though he may be following the routine, it may be something mechanical. Though he is sitting in the study hours, his mind may be somewhere else. That routine doesn't help him. That won't give him fulfillment. Similarly, in our life, all the religious practices, unless we have the real yearning, all our moral bindings may be meaningless, maybe just something to show others that I am good, but it is in no way transforming our life. It doesn't give us fulfillment. Just the way in the education, all the same thing is happening here also. So they alone are fulfilled. Who has developed the thirst for God? So that's so. if you take it in the correct sense, the thirst after righteousness actually means thirst for God. So that's why he has taken the few 12 who have already developed that yearning out of the mass to give this highest teachings. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Even in Yoga Sutra, we say that for when you see happiness in others, try to relate through friendship. If you see someone in uh, dejected, someone is, uh, is going through some 
uh, is having sorrows in their life, going through some dejection, be compassionate towards them. What actually speaks of? Most of us sometimes, if it is not by near and dear ones, we do just the opposite. When I see the prosperity of others, I feel jealous. When I see my enemy is suffering, I feel happy. And at last, whom I am harming? Is the other person I am harming? No. I am harming myself. I am creating a turbulence in my mind. That's why Jesus says that if you have to offer something to the in the altar to the divine, and if you have some quarrel with your brother, first go and resolve that quarrel. With a disturbed mind, you can never offer. The offering will not be accepted. So first resolve, first make the mind come, calm. That has been spoken of as the Brahma Vihara in the Yoga Sutra. First, those external behavior is very important. You have to be merciful. Then only you can obtain mercy. Then only with a calm mind, you can think of your spiritual journey. Then only the divine grace can fall upon you. Otherwise, it will be of no avail. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There are so many. Uh, uh, we will not uh, proceed for the, all the Beatitudes. With this, I will just uh, end today's discussion. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Swami Vivekananda used to say that if all the religions become obsolete, somehow we uh, forget about all the religions, the human civilization forgets about them. And if just this one sentence remains, he says that is sufficient to again bring back all the religions. This purity from bahuvritti to ekavritti. That's the purity speaks of. Our mind is a monkey mind having thousands of thoughts to bring it to one thought, the thought of God, ishtavritti. That speaks of purity. That can lead you to samadhi. That can lead you to the ultimate spiritual realization. So that's why blessed are the pure in heart. Those who have tried to streamline their mind. That speaks of the purity. That from the vagaries of thoughts to the thought of the God. From bahuvritti to ishtavritti. How it leads to samadhi? It's a very big topic in a simple way to understand with a rational mind. In this world, you will find everything is a flow. Sangsar. This world is called sangsar. Samsarate is iti samsara. Here everything is flowing. Why there is a flow? Because there is a polarity. Water flows when there is a difference in level. From higher level to lower level, water flows. Electricity, when there is a potential difference. If the potential, both the ends have same potential, there is no flow of electricity. If the heights are same, water won't flow. It's the polarity which speaks of flow. Why the mind is mind? Constantly jumping from, as it is constantly jumping from thought to thought. How to go beyond the mind? When I, this jumping from thought to thought can be stopped. If you have one thought, the polarity is resolved. The mind will go beyond thought. And the, once the mind falls off, that is the mind which is not allowing us to relate to our real spiritual dimension. The moment, just for a fragment, for a small fragment of sorry, fragment of time, if I can go beyond the mind, immediately it can take me to the realization. And that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You go beyond the mind, from Bahuvritti to Ishtavritti, leading you to that no mind state where you have the flash of the real, the, the real self which we are, which is one with God. Blessed are the pure peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The peacemakers, they are the children of God. Why? Again, in a simple way, in Bhagavatam it is mentioned that why, how it's only when you can relate to the entire existence as the projection of the divine. Then only you can think of peace. <clears throat> that the entire world, the moment you can really re realize, when it's a, it's a realization that the entire world is a projection of divine, then whom to hate? It's the same God who has become the many. You cannot hate anyone. As in Srimad Bhagavatam, very nicely, there's a sloka, very nice sloka, that while taking food, accidentally your tongue is bitten by your teeth. Whom do you blame? 
is the same person it is you who it's your tongue who is which is being bitten by your teeth you don't blame anyone because it is you alone who has bitten yourself so if it is god alone who has become the creation if nothing is apart from the divine then how can we there is be the question of violence hatred this cannot be there i cannot hate others i cannot be violent towards others so blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of god actually just in the opposite way the real children of god are bound to be the peacemakers because they know the entire creation is god and god alone so there is no question of you and me and they are bound to be the only the peacemakers they are the bound to be the peacemakers blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven so this uh, with this we will conclude that as sri ramakrishna used to say jab hathi chale bazar mein tab kutta bhoke hazar sadhu ka durbhav nahi jab ninde sansar in spiritual life you have to be bold the world may oppose you know it for certain it is a journey of the alone to the alone you cannot think that i will take my friends my relatives along with me in my spiritual journey as tulsidas used to say very nicely how wonderful this world is you go to a village the one who is selling wine alcohol the spirit he sits in his in his own house the entire village comes to him to buy that alcohol which in no way is going to nourish you it intoxicates you and the milkmaid the nourishing milk she that she that poor fellow has to go from door to door to sell the milk so that's what tulsidas is saying that the one who is selling the milk the thing which is a good essential for our health that he has to go from door to door the one who is selling the alcohols he just sits people come to him that's the way of the world so you never can think that you will have the throng with you with a great crowd with you in your journey to the spiritual journey in your, in your journey to a spiritual uh, evolution it's never you are it's a journey of the alone to the alone if you find that there is a huge crowd no it for certain some way you have compromised in the name of religion you are giving importance to glamour wealth or something else then of course you will get in the name of religion a lot of throng that's that why that mass was coming after jesus because of the miracle not because of the sermon of the mount they have never they would have never approached him the moment they would heard this words of renunciation in the life of jesus it is mentioned a rich person a rich young man wanted to follow him jesus told sell your property everything and distribute it to the poor and follow me he was disheartened he left he thought of some comfortable religion that's what swami ji used to say that comfort there cannot be any comfortable religion the religion cannot be comfortable so that's why blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven so when the elephant is passing through the marketplace the dogs will be shouting at it the mark the elephant doesn't care for it it knows it cannot harm it, it doesn't even hate the dogs it is totally indifferent so that's why sadhu ka durbhav nahi he doesn't hate them he knows they cannot in any way affect me as gautam buddha used to say nicely when someone came and told buddha that such and such person is censoring you buddha told buddha never answered and then when he was insisting buddha's uh, reply was wonderful that's okay suppose i give you something as a gift and you don't accept it whom does it belong and that person replied of course it belongs to you it is you who were giving me i don't accept it it remains so what that person is giving me i don't accept he is giving me all those abuses i don't accept so whom does it belong still the person was insisting but he is speaking all sorts of nonsense now now buddha felt that he has to be uh, given some more tangible example and now what buddha is saying is very very wonderful try spitting on the sky where the spit falls it will fall on your face only so that's the idea that it's not that you have to hate them be indifferent it won't touch you go in your path what you have chosen know it for certain that the world is not going to follow you that's why ramakrishna used to say lajja ghrina bhoy tin thakte noy 
if you are feeling ashamed that if i take the name of god what the world will think of me then for you religion is not if you having krina that i take the name of god and all people are after me constantly criticizing me then also religion is not for you don't hate them neither be shame ashamed of god neither hate those who are not following you and boy if someone uh, just uh, what you say scares you someone comes and just bullies you by saying that if you practice religion i am going to harm you don't be afraid of that person be bold so lajja grina bhoy tin thakte na so be ready to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness for god because that's the only thing which is needed in life so that's the message of jesus we relate to that yes that's the vedantic truth he's speaking of and that's why we revere him and it is not that only we are saying from vedantic tradition even jesus himself have told if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me again there is no comfortable religion whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple as simple as that religious life is the life where it speaks of suffering just the way the one who is uh, climbing the mountain that when he reaches the top that is his goal but if that alone is the thing which gives him pleasure know it for certain mountaining is never possible he must enjoy the journey the tiresome journey it should give you a sense of adventure and unless religious journey with all its persecutions with all the abandonments gives us a sense of joy all the struggles which we are which is going on within that gives us a sense of adventure okay i fell again i try i fell again i try i'm not going to leave it just the way the one who is climbing the mountain with repeated failures again he goes for the same thing as the one who conquered the mount everest for the first time the stenging norway the, 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 what he told is you know for the first attempt he failed and when but uh, the height up to which he reached that itself was a record in those days so there was a, 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 a what you say that uh, people wanted to felicitate him so there was a meeting to felicitate him and when he came to address the gathering there was a huge picture of the everest on the background of the stage now instead of face instead of facing the audience uh uh the hillary turned around and faced the this back screen where the picture of everest was there mount everest and as if addressing the mount everest he told today i have been defeated by you i couldn't climb you i have been defeated by you but know it for certain at last it is i who will win not you and the thing he's saying something very interesting that your height is fixed it's not going to increase but i can overdo what all my limitations what limitations i have today that i can easily overcome tomorrow so today you have won but know it for certain i am going to win at last because after all your height is fixed but there is no limitation to what extent i can grow so that's the idea of adventure in spiritual life that in spite of failure i should not give it up this path of this journey of the alone to the alone maybe a very 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 strenuous journey but we should have a sense of adventure in it go on trying for it and for that know it for certain that jesus is there by your side as your guide to lead you to that ultimate perfection that's why we pray him we pray the prophet because the prophet soul is in us something within us is saying constantly that yes that's the ideal others i would have liked it why i love jesus because that's the ideal which i want to manifest through my life if that's not there if i just place him in the altar and say you are great god i am the sinner in what way it is going to help me unless it can transform me so it is the transformative power 
of the divine incarnations of whom Jesus is also one that we pray so that they can be the pole star in our life. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.